Welcome to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra. And me, Father David Pelican, As we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese and, and Eparchy. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcast. Learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of Men of the Hearts podcast. Today we have on a special guest to our show. I was not in the seminary with this priest. However, Father David was in the seminary and has some interesting stories that maybe he can tell <laughs> us a little bit later on. That's he's right. the new vocation director for the Eparchy of St. Thomas the Apostle. So basically he's the vocation director for all you Chaldeans who are listening out there. So welcome mm-hmm. uh, to the show, Father Paranatisha. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here with you guys. It's good to have you here. Father David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Doing well. It's good to be here. Uh, Father Perrin and I entered seminary together, but he got ordained a year before me. So we spent a lot of time uh, back in the halls of Sacred Heart together. It was awesome. Did uh, Father Perrin get all A's like you in the seminary? <laughs> I, I, he's, a, he's a pretty smart guy. He, he, well, well, more on that later. Yes. <laughs> well, Father Perrin, before we get into your vocation story, I'd love to hear what's going on in your life. Anything that's, you know, a blessing or anything that the Lord's been doing with you? Yeah. So actually, it's funny that even just today I was praying about this. I'm in my... Um, in my last month before I'm 30 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually really excited to be leaving my 20s because <laughs> it's just really awkward as a priest when you're like sitting with people, especially couples, and you're just giving like counseling for their marriage. And then they're like, oh, by the way, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, I'm 29. You no, know, I became a priest when I was 26. So I'm um, like, I'm 29. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> So I can relate. Yeah, exactly. I got a few years left. Uh-huh. So it's just great to, I was just very thankful this morning thinking of, of my life and just everything that the Lord has been doing for me um, and really done for me. And so I'm excited to see what more he has planned in my life. Yeah, that's awesome. Amen. Yeah. So is 26 the, the youngest you can be ordained uh, as a priest? or I, I think it's like 25. 25. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was me. <laughs> yeah. So it follows the same way as the Latin right and Calendian right the same way? Yes. I think yeah. so. Awesome. Cool. Well, it's great to have you. And did you, you go to any new things lately? Did you like travel around? Or, or <laughs> I did. Anything? Yeah. Where'd you go? I was with you, Father Craig. Yeah. yeah. Where were we? <laughs> uh, we were in Baltimore for the uh, National Conference of Vocation Directors. Yeah. Um, and you went a little bit early because there was uh, basically a boot camp for new yes, vocation directors. Yeah. Which was actually awesome. And that was so, so great for me because I just learned so much about just what to do as a vocation director. You know, it's yeah. it's funny in the church when we're assigned to certain things, there's not like a handbook that we get. And mm-hmm. it really felt like it was so informational and just a lot of graces that I received from that and just being there. Yeah, I feel a little bit overloaded though at the same time yes. too. <laughs> no, it's great. Like when I went there, you know, you get to see people that you've seen all over the country, vocation directors that you get to know, but it's always nice to see a familiar face and I'm sitting there waiting for the opening prayer for the main event basically. And then you guys come and sit down next to me and I'm like, I know these guys, yeah. these are my people. So it was, <laughs> it was good. No, it was awesome. Yeah. Because Father Brian still is part of vocations, but he's not exactly yes. doing everything anymore. So right? we split the jobs now where okay. I'm the vocation director and he's the director of seminarians. So ah. he'll be working with the seminarians and then I'll be working with all of the guys who are discerning and desire to enter seminary. So it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And so like you'll come to the discernment weekends so yes. when, when yeah. our groups come together and yeah. we have those. Uh, yeah. yeah. Check out our... Uh, website for all those different dates, DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. We have a number of discernment weekends coming up in October, I think one in December and another one in February mm-hmm. as well. So well, it was great. And Father David, anything going on with you? Any blessings? Oh. Did you finish anything lately? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, we um, actually, as I think we've talked about in the podcast before, uh, we've been building a small chapel in our rectory, mm. a private chapel, just just for our own prayer and, and an altar and all that. So we wrapped up that you project. You built the altar. Too. I built the altar. Yeah. Yes, yes. Wow. And, uh, and we put up a little wall and a door and all that. So we finished that now. And it was last Friday, I think, that we uh, we blessed it. We put the the blessed sacrament there. So it's just it it has been a blessing to to pray there, um, and just have that space where we can go and be with the Lord and kind of like in in very private location and just kind of have that time of of solitude and alone. Yeah, it's quiet. I've already son- did three holy hours. 
Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great. It's great. It's awesome. Father Craig does his holy hours in the evening, very yes. late. I tend to mm-hmm. do mine early. So it just seems quieter in the evening. I don't know what it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a morning not tired. person. I'm too You're tired a morning person. That's not usual I used for Caledonians. I know. I, I remember I used to wake up everybody in the seminary. Oh, I remember. Hallway. I remember. I would knock on doors. He would, he, really? He'd make yeah. sure we weren't late for that 6 a.m. holy hour, yep. you know? John Maculati at 5.55 would be getting in the shower. You know, and Somehow he's still there on time. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, Father Bob McCabe uh, made it a fact that you should be the first one to celebrate Mass in that chapel. And I believe yes. you did because I saw the candles were lit. So yes, yes, What was your yes. Mass intention for your first Mass? What was mass? my Mass intention? Yeah. Actually, it was for priests. Yeah, you want uh, to explain what a Mass intention is and how that works out? Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. So, so when priests offer Mass, we always offer it for a specific intention. And sometimes people come to the parish and they'll they'll ask for an intention, and you, so you can get a Mass offered for someone, either someone who's alive, someone who's passed away. Um, so most of the Masses that we say as priests are actually we, we're given the intention, mm-hmm. but every once in a while we, ha- we get a, the opportunity to do a private Mass. Yeah, like a day is, off. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, day off, and you can offer it for anything or anyone you want. So I, my mass intention in the chapel was uh, just for priests, actually, of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Um, one of the things I thought about a lot as I was working on the altar and such, it's an awesome project, right? Because you're like, I'm making this for Jesus, right? To hold Jesus. But also like this chapel is going to be something where priests can come and really just be be renewed in the Lord to go out and serve his people, so, so that was kind of like the the prayer in my mind as I was making these the altar and the chapel, and so my intention was just for priests and kind of like to be strengthened, renewed, and all mm. that. You know? Yeah, it reminds me of I forgot where I was at a monastery, but they always have the chapel which is right opposite the kitchen, and that's like ours too. Oh like uh, yeah, you be fed yeah, soul, true. and then you go and you feed your body. Well, we're afterwards. body and soul. You got to feed both. <laughs> you know. <Let's... laughs> yeah. Well, it's a wonderful chapel. We got to get a little bit of artwork on the wall, but other than yeah. that, it's just yeah. great to be there and to have that quiet. Maybe some of your forward. artwork. Maybe who there knows? There you go. Uh, you know, there's there you four go. of us. We're all choosing on what we want in there and what we don't want in there, that's so we awesome. got to make it. And, and Father, I don't know if you listen to the podcasts, but um, Father David and Father Matthew Hood had a Costco um, kind of battle. I don't want to talk about it. To see who was the Costco I king. don't want to talk about and it. And unfortunately mm-hmm. for Father David, uh, Father Matthew knew a lot and I think was more of a Costco king I, than him. I think our judge was a little biased. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I just wanted to give you this opportunity yeah. to I just speak in a rebuttal or whatever, knowing that he's not here. So now he, that he's not here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Father Matthew... If you're out there listening, I just have one thing to say. You may have gone to Costco first, but I think my love for Costco is greater than yours. And uh, I don't know. I, I want to go on the record saying I, I this is not uncontested. Maybe there will have to have a, a 2.0 or a retrial. Uh, but uh, but uh, I guess for now I, I concede that title to you. It's king of Costco. Costco's great, honestly. I actually thought See? the world was going to end when Costco stopped the free samples. Oh, That's when I really Father thought David Jesus was coming back. I thought, I thought the world was going to end when they brought them back, but you couldn't eat them. Yes. <laughs> it was just like on That display. was worse. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I was at Costco the other day, and I don't understand the parking lot. It's like something happens in the parking lot where people just don't know how to drive. Everybody goes like two miles an hour. It's just... Yeah, yeah. And the people just walk everywhere. Yeah. It is true. It is a weird, weird space. It's it's a geographical oddity. (laughs) (laughs) So what's going on with me? Nothing. I don't do anything new. So So let's go right into your vocation story. You tell it how you want it and we'll ask some questions along the way. Um, so I've actually felt called to the priesthood ever since I was six years old. Really? Yeah. Mm. Um, my family is, has always been super religious and Catholic. And so I've been really blessed with that. And, uh, father David knows them pretty well, you know, so he'll tell his his story (laughs) of how he met them first. (laughs) Um, but I'm really blessed. You know, my parents have been married for 33 years and, um, they have been such a great example to me of what it means to love God and to love each other. So uh, they always raise us in the church and we yeah, always... How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have three siblings. Okay. So two brothers and a sister. Okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, we just really grew up in the church and even just altar serving. You know, I started altar serving when I was five years old. 
And my mom tells me that after a year of altar serving, so I was six years old, she said that I told her, I want to do what the priest does, you know? Mm. And I can just always remember, like ever since I was a young kid, just always wanting to be a priest because we were always surrounded by priests, you know, even my family, like we were always close to priests, you know, having priests over, sitting with priests, like having dinner with priests, going to gathering with priests. And so it really instilled this like love for the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so important when we talk about discernment, you know, to just really make sure that the priest is present to the life of the family, you know, because mm -hmm. when the priest is there, it really encourages vocations. It really does. Um, and it encouraged my vocation. And that's why I say that. So just really like ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a priest and I was always labeled that way, you yeah. know, mm. especially in school. I went to Catholic school as well. Um, I went to St. Regis and St. Hugo for elementary school and then um, St. Mary's in Orchard Lake for high school. Okay. Um, so I know the AOD very well, you know. Yeah. Now, did you know that you were going to apply to the seminary after high school or were you kind of just living life regularly, like maybe going out on dates and different things? Like yeah, that? I would say like when I entered high school, I wasn't really discerning seriously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I was actually living a double life um, because... I still went to church, I still prayed, I still went to youth groups, I was even volunteering in church, but I really fell into the worldly aspect of life and just the partying that happens in high school and, and stuff like that. And I, I was just living this double life where I was one person in the church, but then one person, someone else outside of the church. Yeah, I was like that too in yeah. high school, for sure. So, and I would say like during that time, my discernment was not very serious. I always had this, I still had this desire for priesthood, uh, but I wasn't really living like truly with the Lord. Yeah. Well, let's back it up just a little bit to understand because, you know, some guys do have this feeling when they're really young that they might be called to the priesthood. How did that look as a six or seven or 10 year old of, of what you thought the priesthood was and what you wanted to do? I think I just looked at the priesthood as, you know, I, I guess I just really knew the priest from like mass. That was where it really mm -hmm. just, I was always inspired when I was in mass. And whenever I was at mass, I always felt just like the priesthood was so beautiful, you know, mm -hmm. because the priest was just so close to God and what he was doing was just amazing. Um, so that desire never went away. And that's what I just always felt as a kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and I always felt like that could be me, you know? Like I could be up there. Mm. Now, did your parents support that? Because when we had Father Brian on the show, uh, it was the exact opposite where <laughs> his mom didn't talk to him yeah. for a couple of months. What, mm -hmm. what was that? Did they foster that as a young kid in you? Or was that sort of like, ah, oh, you could be anything you want, or ah, maybe you want to do this instead? So it's interesting. I never really talked about it. Yeah, okay. like the desire was always there, but I never talked about it um, until really I got to high school. That's when I started to talk about it. And I actually didn't really tell my dad till I was in college. Hmm. So him and I never really had this conversation of like, I want to be a priest. Wow. He knew it because he could see it. Really? But I never had that conversation with him. So my mom knew it and my mom and I would talk about it. And she was always very supportive of that. But for my dad, it was a little harder to to come around for him. So mm -hmm. I have the opposite situation of Father Brian's mm -hmm. where, you know, for him, it was his mom that really had a hard time with it. For me, it was my dad that had a hard time with it. And the reason was uh, my dad always wanted me to be a doctor, which is mm -hmm. very common in the Chaldean community. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like every father wants their son to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, and those are the only mm -hmm. options you have. <laughs> <laughs> so he always wanted me to be a doctor. Um, and so when he f saw me kind of going towards the priesthood, it didn't make him very happy mm. because he didn't see the priesthood as something that was going to bring success, you know, to me or to my future family. Um, and he saw more the doctor life or that life as bringing success or bringing money or bringing power, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of hard for him to, to accept that. 
So you you went to you went to college for a little bit before coming into seminary. Were you going for a degree in, in medicine or something like that? Was that the was that the path you were on? I was, but it was psychology. Oh, really? <laughs> so, okay. Um, because Is I that just not thought, a respected doctor for. Uh, well, I don't know if that's what my dad wanted, you yeah. know. But I was just thinking, if I were to become a doctor, the type of doctor I'd want to become would be to work, you know, in psychology. Yeah, help people in that. To regard. help people in that, because I always just had that desire to serve and to help others, and I just knew that I would best, you know, I would use my gifts the best through that. So that's why I pursued that. Yeah. Um, so I actually went to Wayne State for two years. I know you went to Wayne, Wayne State. Wayne State Tartars, yeah. not these <laughs> yeah. warriors. I was I a know. tartar. <laughs> yeah. So I went to Wayne State for two years, um, and I actually didn't want to enter seminary out of high school personally. Yeah, let's back up just a little bit. Yeah. So like you're in high school now, let's say you're in 10th grade, you're kind of living this double life, partying up, but still going to church. What did that look like? I mean, what is youth group like? I mean, as as me, it's funny, I'm a Catholic priest, but I never went to youth group. I never mm-hmm. went to Catholic school. So, I mean, I went to church on the weekend and yeah, I would you know, go to mass and then I would go out and party and, you know, it's sort of the two never entwined. So like what was going on in your life? I mean, what was happening? I think it was my group of friends personally, um, because that's just the way they lived is yes, they were faithful and they went to church and they went to youth group, but um, they didn't really live that outside of that. Mm. So I just got caught up with those group of friends um, and that's where it was most difficult for me but and so yeah i lived that double life can i talk about how kind of how it changed yeah of course yeah Yeah. because please do that's like a huge part of it for me that's what i'm trying to get at yes (laughs) (laughs) how did it change what happened yeah so um and my senior year of high school i went on the kairos retreat so most high schools Mm -hmm. have that yeah explain that what a kairos retreat is. yeah so it's a four-day retreat from thursday to sunday and Kairos means God's time. And so you're without your phone, you're without any computers. Um, you don't even have a clock or alarm clock. So mm-hmm. they even cover all of the time that is um, visible in the retreat center. Wow. So you don't even know what time it is because they're very like just pushing that like you're on God's time mm-hmm. and really like shutting out the world. And um, because it was with my class, like, in high school, it was cool because you knew everybody and it was great to hear just what was going on in these guys' lives. Like I was sitting in class with them and I had no idea what they were struggling with or what was happening in their homes or in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I just remember on that retreat, the Lord made it so clear to me that he wanted me to be a priest, but that the way I was living was not heading that way and that I had to change my life um, in order to really answer his call. And it was really from that retreat that I just really understood that. Because I think as a kid, I always looked at the vocation and the call as something I wanted and something that I desired and never looked at it as this is what God wants. Yeah. And this is what God is calling. And this is what God is asking. And it really wasn't clear until that retreat. And that's where the Lord just really spoke to me. And after that retreat, my life started to change. It didn't happen in a day. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still struggling to really put off those sins and put off the world. Um, but over time, like it it happened, you know, where I was just fully committed to the Lord and fully devoted to him. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. interesting too. It's like, I mean, our our vocation comes with a relationship with God, right? And usually when we start any relationship, we kind of think, you know, kind of selfishly like, what is this person going to do for me? Or, or how are you going to make my life better? Mm-hmm. You know, but then when you start to like grow in that relationship and you love that person, you want to make sure that you make that person's life better, you know? Yes. And then yeah. that is fruitful, especially between man and wife as you have kids and different things like that. And I think that's very fruitful when it comes to the priesthood as well. You're having this unique relationship with God. And at first, yeah, it is a little bit selfish. Like, is this going to make me happy? But then when you really start to understand who God is and what God wants for you, you want to do everything for the Lord. And yes. it's that whole paradox is where I give my life to you, Lord, and you give it all back in a greater way, in a yeah. better way. Yeah. yeah. And that's what was happening. And for me, it was really happening in Eucharistic adoration. Yeah. 
especially in high school. So at explain Saint, that, yeah, yeah. So at St. Mary's, they uh, in the chapel itself at the shrine, they had a back uh, chapel that had adoration from like eight a.m. until like nine p.m. Mm. Um, from Monday to Friday. So the whole time we were in school, there was adoration, and if we wanted, we could go into this chapel and just pray with the Lord and. That's where Jesus is in the Eucharist. You know, he's in a monstrance and he's exposed. And so you can see the bread, but it's Jesus, you mm -hmm. know, um, it's Jesus exposed body, blood, soul, and divinity. So when I got to that high school, I'm, I'm just a very nosy person. <laughs> so I like to explore, you know, I did that in seminary as well. I went through all of the tunnels here and everything and yeah. got through all the secret places, got cool with security. You know, that's how you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Friends with Brian, the security yes, guy. Yes, Brian, you know? the security yeah. guy. So I was just curious, you know, I walked into the shrine chapel one day and I went into the back of the chapel and I just found this room. And it was, you know, the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel. So when I knelt before the Lord, I just really felt the presence of God, you know, more than ever in my life when I was just mm -hmm. in his presence. So when I was in high school and that happened, I started going to that chapel every day um, during lunch. Mm -hmm. And that's where my life really was like starting to change and where God was really speaking to me yeah. and really showing me that he wanted me to be his priest and his son, you know? Um, and that was a huge part of my discernment was Eucharistic adoration and going to that chapel. Yeah. Can you explain to us a little bit like what happens in Eucharistic adoration for you? Because, you know, I tell guys, if you want, really want to discern the priesthood, really anything, you want to be before the Lord, the Lord will speak to you. So. How did the Lord speak to you during this Eucharistic adoration when you were there during these lunch times? Yeah, it was really just to my heart, right? And it's just this, I mean, it's not an audible voice, you know? God didn't just like come down in a cloud and, and start speaking to me audibly. Although it does happen. We know it, Bishop Battersby it happened to. And right, who else right. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. 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 But maybe there's like people that are closer to God. Bishop, <laughs> yeah, Bishop Battersby's also. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just, you know, just this feeling in my heart of what he was really saying. And a lot of it was just a lot of love, a lot of reassurance, um, and just feeling very comfortable, more comfortable than I've ever felt. And I always just tell people, like, if you want to get to know someone, what do you do? You spend time with them. Mm -hmm. And as Catholics, if we really believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist, that this is him, you know, why wouldn't I go to him? Yeah. Why would I just yeah. sit in my bedroom or why would I just Amen. sit in my car? Like, why don't I go to him? And I think it's so beautiful that so many churches now have these chapels that are open 24 seven. You know, you just yeah. need a code to get in where you can literally sit with Jesus, whether he's exposed or he's in the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just such a beautiful gift. And I think that's where really like I started to discern in high school more seriously was when I started to build that relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So you and were going every day. Every day. How, yeah. how long was lunch? I mean, how long did you spend each so day? So I would spend like, it wasn't the whole lunch. It was probably like five to 10 minutes that I would yeah. just sit, like be with the Lord. And That's beautiful, at St. Mary's, it's your, your classes are not in one building. So your classes are all in different buildings. So you have to walk outside to get to classes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very like college feel. Mm -hmm. um, and the chapel is in the middle, in the center of the campus. And so really, you know, you're passing the chapel a lot throughout the day because it's right mm -hmm. in the middle of the campus. And when I would pass that chapel, there was this like burning desire in my heart to just go inside hmm. when I would pass the chapel. It was almost like Jesus was like tugging at my heart to just be with him. And sometimes I wouldn't even like hear anything from God or really feel anything, but I just had this assurance that God wanted me there. Mm -hmm. And that was like enough for me just to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, when you, like when I saw you guys at the convention, you know, you sit down and you're like, it's good that you're here with yeah. me, you know? And it's like, God is like, it's good that you're here with me. Yeah. Now, were you struggling a little bit with, you know, kind of living that double life that you were saying? And what was God speaking to you about any of that stuff in your life at that time? Yeah, I was, you know? Um, but like I said, it wasn't until that Kairos retreat where God just spoke so clearly yeah. of like, you have to change. Hmm. And I just think, 
sometimes we become so numb to our sin and to the way we're living just because we're just used to it. And we don't really see the reality of what our sin is doing to us. That's what I think. Or to others around us. Exactly. You know, because we think sometimes our own sin are our own sins and it doesn't affect the people around us. But, you know, when we grow in holiness, we all grow in holiness. But when we fail, we're sort of kind of failing each other because we are in communion with each other. Yeah, 100%. So so now you finished high school and you're not quite ready to think about the priesthood. So you go to Wayne State and you start studying psychology. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on at that time? Like, was there anything that you joined at Wayne State? Were you part of the Newman Center? Mm-hmm. Were there you know, any Catholic groups or what was going on? So it's actually funny because when I went to Wayne State, I went to the Newman Center and I walked in and it was like maybe my first week there. So I walked in and there were like some people standing around but I didn't know anyone. And so I walked in and I literally walked out in like five <laughs> seconds <laughs> because no one really like greeted me. No one like said anything, you know? So I was like, okay, this is really awkward. I'm yeah, gonna, yeah. You know? <laughs> so I left. Um, but then the following year, someone told me, oh, there's a new priest, you know, at the Newman Center, you have to go up and meet him. So I said, you know what, let me give this another try, you know? Mm. So I went up there and I met this priest and I was just really blown away by how he welcomed me and how he really just like, he just, I walked in and he showed me the entire place, you know? And he he made me feel like just so at home. His name is actually Father Simon Lobo. Mm -hmm. So he's a companion of the cross priests. They're based in Canada. Okay. Um, and they also have um, a house here and they have seminarians at Sacred Heart as well. Yep. And, and they wear a chain that's uh, uh, got like a little symbol yes. of a man praying on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I met him and I got very close to him and started to get more involved at the Newman Center, attending Bible studies, um, even leading Bible studies eventually there. Can you explain what a Newman Center is to people who don't know what yeah, that is? Yeah, so it's just a Catholic student center. Um, it's a Catholic presence on a university campus. Okay. Um, and so they're super powerful. You know, I know you, Father mm-hmm. Craig, were helping out with some masses as well. Mm-hmm. At Wayne State, I was as well the last two years. Um, and it's super powerful to see what God can do in these students. Mm-hmm. And it changed my life going to the student center. Um, and what I learned from that was that God wanted to be in a relationship with me. Mm-hmm. I had never heard that word before, that God wants a personal relationship with us. And that's what I learned when I went to the Newman Center and just talking with Father Simon at the time and attending those you know faith studies, the Bible studies that they had going on. And so, it was super helpful for me um, in my own spiritual life. Did they have fun too? I mean, it wasn't just all Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you explain some of that? So. so, I mean, they had a ping pong table in there. So we'd be <laughs> playing <laughs> ping pong. And even during the summers, like we had a volleyball uh, league that we would meet like every Thursday at someone's house and just play volleyball. So, and you know, there were like parties and gatherings throughout the year as well, which were a lot of fun. So Holy Ghost parties though. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just, it's not just faith focused, but it's also about building community. Yeah. You know, and that's what's super needed when you're in a university. Yeah. So Father David as resident spark person, who is Father Newman or St. Newman or do you oh, know uh, anything about this? <laughs> I don't know much about him, what? to be honest. There's, uh, there's, two, there's two Cardinal Newmans. One's in England and one is American. I'm assuming it's the American guy. Uh, but I don't know a whole lot about him, to be honest. <sighs> a minus, A minus. <laughs> I actually don't know much about him either. I don't know either. Know. So we're all bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to, you know, Wayne State University. You're studying, you know, psychology degree. You're, you're going to class. What's God doing on your heart? And where's the whole priesthood aspect of it? Burning, yeah. just burning for the priesthood. Um, really? And it's funny because I wanted to enter the seminary a year after college and I was talking to the vocation director at the time, who's now our bishop, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was the vocation director, and he was also my pastor, you know, so I would meet with him occasionally, maybe like every three, four months, we would sit together and just talk about mm-hmm. what God was doing and where I was in my discernment and how I was feeling. So I remember um, after my first year of college, I was like really, I was ready to go, Yeah. you know, because 
I really was like fully committed to the Lord and I was just really ready to just give my whole life to him. And um, so I told the bishop, Father Frank at the time that I wanted to enter and you know, we were talking about the process and the application and the plan was that, you know, I was going to apply that summer and, you know, if I were to be accepted to enter that year. Mm -hmm. And so my meeting came around to talk about the application because, and I thought I was going in for the meeting to get the application. So I sit down and he looks at me and he says, I just want to let you know, I'm not giving you an application What? and uh, I'm not going to tell you why. Oh, really? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And he didn't tell me why. And he said, I want you to wait another year and then we'll, we'll talk about it then. You but know? some wisdom there because you are a priest now. So yes. did you ever find out why he? Uh, did you literally you like you? two weeks ago. I found really? Out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? That's it hilarious. is hilarious. And it actually has to do with my dad. Does it really? Oh, yeah. Really? So yeah, are you free to talk about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dad actually met with the bishop and told him, like, let him take his time. Mm. Because he, like I said, he didn't want me. He really did not want me to rush into the priesthood or yeah. he just didn't see it as a good idea. So I think that was a part of the bishop's decision at mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. I was so angry. You know, when he told me that I had to wait a year wow, wow. and I, yeah. it really hurt me, you know, because I just, in my own prayer and my discernment, I was so ready. Yeah. I was done with this world. I was done with everything <laughs> that was happening. I just wanted to go to the seminary and just like be there, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, but when I look back and I, and I knew this, especially when I was in seminary, when I look back, if I didn't have that year, I don't think I would be a priest. Yeah, the wisdom really, of not only really is, your bishop, but also the yeah, wisdom of your own father. 100%. Yeah. And I just, even just like I shared, right, um, that my second year at Wayne State, when I met Father Simon and I really got involved at the Newman Center, if I would have entered seminary, I would have never had that experience. Mm -hmm. And when I think of that year, it was just such a big year for me. And I grew and I just matured so much just in normal life you know, yeah. that I don't think I would have received if I would have entered seminary. Yeah. yeah. So what was your prayer life like at, while you were in that last year before you were able to apply? Yeah, it was more intense yeah. for sure. You know, well, explain it a little bit like, cause I mean, we got a young man who's listening right now and he's like, I'm really considering the priesthood. I mean, what should a prayer life look for a young man who's really considering the priesthood? I at just, least what was it like for yeah, you? So yeah. I just started living like a priest, honestly where I was going to mass um, more often, maybe four or five times a week, um, mm -hmm. and adoration every single day, um, sitting with the Lord and just praying and, and being with him, yeah. um, and really trying to like pray scripture. I remember getting closer to the saints um, mm -hmm. and just like really growing deeper in my relationship with God. Yeah. And for those who don't know, you go to aod.org and you can find where all the Eucharistic chapels are. That's right. So yeah, please awesome. take a look at that. And then we didn't mention it. The Newman Center did move from Wayne State. It's over at Our Lady of Rosary, which yes. is the Newman Center. It's still on the campus of Wayne State, but it's just off to the side a little bit. And it's got a really kind of, they redid the whole rectory and the whole student center there. So it's it's really cool. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very nice. Yeah. Very nice. You know, you mentioned uh, that you were in some Bible studies and even led them. Uh, what were what were those like? Were those part of your discernment process? Oh, Help yeah. you with prayer? Yes. Was, yeah. So they were actually called faith studies. Um, okay. And we would get this book and it was already kind of planned out for us. And they we went through it ourselves. And then once we went through it, we were able to lead it for other people. And so mm. they were actually like small groups. Um, and it was all about like building our relationship with God through scripture, um, through the saints and whatnot, which was beautiful. And so we would meet uh, for the semester, maybe like every other week, I think it was. And we would just get together and it was the same group every time of five or six people. And we would just discuss whatever was in that book for that day. Yeah. And That's so awesome. it was beautiful. It was like that. I think that year that I had to wait and God giving me that was a huge gift for me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and to know that we have discernment groups and things like that, where we can get together as a people who are considering the priesthood and talk about it because yeah. other guys are going through the same thing for sure. Know, and to be in groups in that regard. 
Okay, so now um, now it's time to apply again. So how did that look? How did the application process go now that you had to wait a whole year? <laughs> <laughs> or was it not a whole year, only like six months? It's like, okay, now you can start applying or what, what did yeah, that I look like? Yeah, I think I applied around like April or May of the following year. So it was almost like a whole year okay. um, mm-hmm. of waiting. And uh, so it was, I, I think I was more like surrendering just to God at that point mm-hmm. of just like, all right, you know, if Lord, you want this, like you're going to make it happen, you know? And I think that has a lot to do with the maturity that came through that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of working, you know, I was working for my father. My my dad owns grocery stores in Metro Detroit. And so I was working with him. And so I was kind of busy with that as well. So that was a lot of fun too, just being there. And working with him, did he sort of kind of see this in you that the priesthood was a reality and that kind of softened him on it? Or was he still kind of against it? He was it? still against it. Yeah. He, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't really come around until I entered seminary. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's often uh, the case is, um, we've talked about this before, but parents always want their kids to be happy and successful in life. And it, sometimes it takes like, they can doubt that that can be a reality in the priesthood, but then they like see you in seminary doing this and very often very happy, fulfilled. And that's what brings them around, I think. Yeah. And I think at the time too, at that time in our community, if you were to enter the seminary and to leave, it was yes. like a big shame mm. for you and your family. Yes. Um, that's changed a lot since then. Good, yeah. You know, it's changed a lot, uh, but it was very uncommon that a guy would enter seminary and leave. And if he did leave, it was like a horrible thing. It's almost like mm-hmm. leaving the priesthood yes, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. But so, that's not the case anymore. Not anymore. Okay, um, I good. think that was a part of his hesitancy there, mm-hmm. you know, was he thought I was too young and that maybe I would change my mind down mm-hmm. the road and mm-hmm. that it would just look really bad, you know, if I were to leave. And so I think that was kind of part of it that yeah. was a hard time for him as well. Yeah, it makes sure. sense. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. sure. So uh, you got the application, you start filling it out. What what happened next? Yeah, I just, I filled it out. It was a very long application. <laughs> you know? it, it takes some time. It takes a lot of time. Did you did um, you drag your feet with it or after a year? Oh, no, you, you know, pretty... I was ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to go. So I filled it out right away and nice. just, I tried to do, it took me about a month though to yeah, really it does. fill it, it out. Yeah, it does. Yep. Yeah. And um, so I filled it out and turned it in and... Uh, thankfully got accepted yeah. <laughs> and but it's interesting because the time that i struggled most in my discernment was from the time that i got accepted to the time that i entered actually into seminary yeah a lot of oh, crazy wow. things happen at, at that right? it was really that happened crazy. to me too yeah yeah mm-hmm. why don't you explain that a little bit yeah i was really doubting myself and i was actually doubting my whole vocation and i wasn't even sure if i was even called anymore you know now, learning all of these things um, in seminary, I see how the evil one was really working during that time yeah. yep. with his lies and just like really trying to turn me away from the seminary. Um, and it's interesting because I remember when we entered seminary, uh, the first meeting we had was with Father Burr and he walked into the chapel and he looked at all of us and the first words <laughs> he said to us, Father David remembers this, I know. is men, the devil hates you and he doesn't want you here. So That's welcome right. to the army. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. So That's those right. are the first words I heard when I entered seminary and it just rang so true because mm-hmm. I just knew the devil did not want me to become a priest. He did not want me in seminary and he was really trying to destroy that call. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like guys will come to me for an application and the day that they're going to get the application, their car breaks down yeah. mm-hmm. or they get called into work or something crazy happens. Yeah. And we are in a spiritual battle here. And, for you sure. know, um, our rosaries are powerful and they are weapons, you know, weapons yeah. of good and yes. of love. And yes. uh, we need to pray uh, to keep the devil away. Yeah. Amen to that. So you get into the seminary, both you and Father David uh, (laughs) are are getting in and moving into the seminary. Why don't you explain this this whole situation? I'm going to let Father David (laughs) explain this part. Yeah, let me me explain this from my perspective. Um, Because here I am. I did not go to college first. So I just turned 18 four days before. This is my first time ever living away from home. And you so, have seven sisters, right? Yeah, yeah. So my whole family came to move me in. Father Burr still teases me about it. They had my, <laughs> my moving crew, you know, all seven of them carrying boxes into my room. They had just left, and I'm sitting on my bed, and there's just a quiet moment, right? And I'm just kind of reflecting, like, 
it's kind of hitting me like, wow, I'm actually doing this. Like, I'm not going to go home till Thanksgiving, maybe. You know, it's it's crazy. And uh, and then I just hear this noise. It starts to get louder <laughs> and louder and louder. I'm like, what is going on? And it's just people talking, people talking. And I walk out into the hallway and there are just people everywhere. <laughs> it's parents, whole family. It's, uh, and when I say family, I don't just mean immediate family. Mm-hmm. Like his whole clan came. It was like his aunts <laughs> were there, his uncles were there, his cousins, and, uh, and a couple other seminarians too, Chaldean seminarians were on that floor. And so the hallway is just filled with Chaldeans. Yep. And if you've ever been to like a Chaldean family gathering, like it, it's not like quiet, you know? It's, no. it's, it's like, I mean, I'm Irish and Italian, so I get it, but it's, I think it's even a, another notch or two up on from steroids. that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, what is going on? And they're all like super friendly. They're talking to me. They're like, what's going on? One of his aunts was like, there's no bathroom on the floor. How are you going to shower? You need a bucket, you know? And uh, I'm just like, what, what did I walk into? Um, so that was my first time ever meeting Chaldeans. And ever. Uh, it was an experience. <laughs> wow. It was an experience. The, yeah. the, it was baptism by fire. And, uh, <laughs> but they became some of the funnest, uh, funnest seminarians on the floor. They just, they really had that spirit of community where we both lived our first year on the, what we called the garden level. Mm-hmm. So it's it's basically the basement, but garden level sounds better. Didn't we name it um, the garden level? I, I you know, or was it before? I don't know if it, it was, was before. before us, it was before. It might have yeah, been, yeah. been before us. We, yeah. we definitely. Um, well, I don't know how many stories we want to share, but uh, <laughs> some things, happen, things that happen on the garden yeah. level stay on the garden level. It's, it's the only floor that doesn't have a priest down the hallway, too, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It has a laundry room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they put all the seminarians down there. And uh, there were five of us. Were you sharing the big study? Were you one of the five who was sharing the big study yes. at the beginning? And yeah. then we all moved our our desks and everything out yes. of there and made it the party room. It was the party room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did Secret yeah. Santa. Yeah. We had uh yeah, we had a good time. We had a good time. It was so. a lot of fun. Yeah. It was. So now having a couple of years of uh schooling under your belt at Wayne State, how does that work <laughs> with coming into the seminary? Are you like you coming in with a less of time to be in the seminary or how did that look? <laughs> <laughs> well, well here, here's what it means from my perspective. Okay. <laughs> means that we would get back from mass and most of us are getting ready to go to class after mm-hmm. breakfast, you know? Mm-hmm. But then there's parent. And Perrin is changing into his gym shorts or his sweatpants because, you know, he's already taken some classes, so he doesn't need to make up as many credits as the rest of us. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we'd get back from class, and there's Perrin still lounging in his, his, his shorts and his casual dress. And uh, so we were a little jealous of Perrin that yeah, year. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good to hear, though, too, is because guys don't recognize that seminary is a, an accredited college. And yes. if you're coming mm-hmm. from another college with credits, a lot of those, especially those general ed classes, are are taken care of for you. So it does change kind of the trajectory of, like, what classes you have to take at the so seminary. So what I did yeah. is, because I'm a very efficient person, <laughs> is when I was registering for my cl- my courses at Wayne State for those two years, I would call the seminary. And I would talk with the um, dean, the dean, mm-hmm. and I would say, "What classes can I take right now that will transfer to the seminary in the future?" Yeah, and I would just <laughs> send them like my. I would register and I would send them my course schedule, and they would tell me like, "Okay, all of these are going to transfer, or this one won't transfer." So I actually made sure that all my classes were going to transfer. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's <laughs> so great. when I came in, I already had so many credits that were already done. So that's why I wasn't in school much. <laughs> yeah. No, that's smart. And, you know, for some guys, it's good, like Father David, to come in right out of high school if, if yeah. you're really ready for it. Yeah. Sometimes guys just need a, a, a chance to think it over a little bit more or to pray about it and get that experience away. But mm-hmm. to do exactly what you did and, and to call the dean's office and to figure out what, you know, credits are going to transfer and do it yeah. wisely, right? Like a lot of those general ed requirements like math or yep. English or things you're going to have to take anyways. Might as well take it while you're discerning yep. that year out, you know? And it actually mm-hmm. helped me discern better in my first years of seminary mm. because I had more time to pray and to mm-hmm. just spend time in the chapel. And it just helped me become more sure of what God wanted. Um, and I don't think I would have had that as much as if I were like so busy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, was it hard for you coming to the seminary, being so like close to your family, as Father David says that you know you're <laughs> such a big group and you stick together and stuff like that? Um. So it was, it was hard, and I actually was like, kind of in denial about it. Mm-hmm. I thought I wasn't going to miss them because I always loved the seminary. I remember even coming here as a kid and just like seeing the seminary. So I had already had some experience of what this place was like. So I was just so excited. And I honestly like told myself, oh, I'm not going to miss my family. I'll be fine, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the first things that we do when every year when seminary starts is we go on a silent retreat. And so I was on that silent retreat, my first one ever, and I remember just sitting in the chapel reading my Bible, and I flipped open my Bible, and I saw a picture there that I had put, and I don't think I remember putting it there, of my mom, my sister, and myself, you know? And when I opened it, I literally burst into tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just became, like, so real that, like, yeah, I did miss them, you know, and it was yeah. okay. It was okay to miss them. Mm-hmm. And eventually the Lord just, like, really worked through that and, um, use that. My mom had a harder time with me leaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Father David knows very well about that. So <laughs> I remember she used to call me every single day. Really? Yes. Wow. When I first entered the seminary because I'm her favorite son. <laughs> 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 and I pride myself with that and yeah, my yeah. other siblings, you know. And so she would call me every day, like check up on me, so see how I was doing. And so eventually I was like, okay, this is too much. <laughs> I remember this very yeah, well. I was like, she like, I can't do this. I can't call my mom every Every day, you know. <laughs> so I said, I remember talking about it with my spiritual director here at the seminary, and I said, you know what? I'm just not going to pick up her calls or call her for like a couple <laughs> days and just see what happens, you know. So I did that. I didn't call her for like three days. I didn't talk to her, and I remember that weekend. It was a Sunday. And she texted me and she said, me and your dad will be there in 15 minutes. What? <laughs> so they showed up to the seminary because she was really worried. She thought something happened to me. Oh. Um, and so we had, I had a lot of games with her while I was in seminary to like make her kind of let go a little bit. And she did eventually. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. It sounds like a very much like my cousin who had a similar issue when he went off to the army. Mm. He stopped calling his mom. And the drill sergeant one day was just on everybody, and he went off to my cousin, and he's like, and tell your mom to stop calling me. And he thought it was like a dig, like a drill sergeant type thing. Comes to find out his mom was calling the drill sergeant going, why is it my son calling me? <laughs> That's amazing. That's funny. I'll tell you another thing I did to her, and this really made her angry. So we have, you know, at Sacred Heart, there's it's so beautiful because there's seminarians from all over the country, mm-hmm. you know, which is so cool. So I got close to um, a couple of guys from North Dakota. And so one year, at the end of the year, you know, one of the guys was heading back to North Dakota. And he said, he's like, why don't you just like come with me? He's like, I'm driving home, like it's a long drive and just come with me, we'll make a couple stops, you know? So I only told like one of the priests that I was living with that summer, I said, listen, I'm gonna go to North Dakota, but if my mom asks where I am, just tell her that I'm with you. Okay, so I went to North Dakota (laughs) and we drove to North Dakota. It took us three days to get there because we stopped in Wisconsin. We stopped in Minnesota. And then when we got to North Dakota, I said, I told the seminarian, I said, we have to stop on the highway at the sign that says, welcome to North Dakota, because I need to get out and take a picture of myself and I'm going to send it to my mom. (laughs) So we did that and I sent it to my mom and she went crazy. (laughs) It was amazing. It was amazing. (laughs) So you're having fun with your mom here. Um, How did your dad come around? Like when Mm. when did he come around and when was he like, ah, this is my son. He's going to be a priest. Yeah. So still it was very hard for him, you know, and I love my dad. My dad has always been like so supportive of like everything that we do. Um, But even, I remember even when we moved in, you know, with all that ruckus that we call as Father David, you know, (laughs) um, he like was just blank faced, you know, there wasn't a lot Mm. of emotion or anything really happening. And I wasn't sure what was going on. My mom was in tears, you know. And so I remember it was like around November of that year. So we enter seminary in August. And then in November, a couple months after that, I had an interview with Ave Maria Radio. Um, and they were just um, 
doing like an interview, sometimes they have these Chaldean days on Ave Maria mm-hmm. where it's Chaldeans like answering the phones and, you know, they're promoting like things from our diocese and whatnot, which is beautiful. So it was one of those days and they wanted to interview a seminarian. So they had asked me to do it. And so they interviewed me and they were just asking me about my vocation and how seminary was going and how things were. Um, and so I did the interview and then when I finished the interview, I looked at my phone and I had a text message and it was from my dad and I opened it and the text said, I'm very proud of you. Wow. Mm. Um, and my dad has never said those words to me in my mm. life, wow. you know? And so it was just like so huge to hear that from him, yeah. that he was proud. And I think he just saw like how happy I was and just how much God was doing for me while I was in seminary. And it just like stirred something in him. And so... From that moment, he just really started to to really come around and really change his yeah. own heart towards it. And even to me, you know, like I just grew closer to him while I was in seminary, which is crazy because I wasn't really home much, you know, mm-hmm. but I really got a lot closer to my dad. And he, on my ordination, he cried more than my mom did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's great to hear Beautiful. because like we all have our own stories with yeah. our families and, yeah. and what seminary looks like and looks like, and it's going to be different for everybody. And, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to have some struggles, but just because there's struggles doesn't mean that God's not calling us to yeah. whatever God is calling us yeah. to. So how does that work out then that you and Father David came into the seminary at the same time, but yet you were finished a year early? What was that like? Well, I had those extra credits from college. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had kind of a year off, I guess, you know, one less year. One less year. Yeah. Because you you left the college for the theology side a year before I did. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Was that hard, that separation between you two? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I had a nickname. It was called Mama P. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up. Well, where did I, I that nickname come from? Where did that yeah. come from? Well, that's when I started knocking on everyone's doors to wake them up. So that I was like the hallway he was, mother. He was, he was yeah. like the mother. He took care of us. Yeah, you know? I was like the hallway mom. Did you make <laughs> sure everybody Don't did their house job? Oh, yeah. I hallway sure job. did everything. Yeah, yeah. I think you actually yeah. were in charge of that for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, the house jobs. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. It was fun. That's yeah. funny. So then ordination came. How did that look for you and where did you get ordained and, and how does that look like in the Chaldean right? Yeah, so I was ordained at our cathedral. It's called Mother of God um, on July 6, 2019, so right before COVID mm-hmm. because the Lord knew what he was doing. He knew I could not handle COVID in the seminary. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Father David was here for that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, he took me out before that happened, praise the yeah. Lord. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, so I was ordained July 6th, and uh, it's in Southfield, Michigan, so not too far from here. Mm-hmm. And then my first assignment was uh, St. George in Shelby Township, which is a huge, huge community. Yeah, uh, We had 200 weddings a year, like wow. three to 400 baptisms a year, um, just a huge community. So my first three years of priesthood were wild, um, and they were a lot of fun, and it was just really, I learned so much in mm-hmm. those three years because... Mm-hmm. I just experienced so much being there. So what was your conception of what the priesthood was in your mind and then actually living that out? Like what was the reality between the two? Like was it everything that you thought it was going to be? Was it more? What what was going on? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. We get that question a lot. Like, so was the priesthood what you expected, you know? And when I really think about that question, what always comes to mind is I always knew that I would love being a priest, but I didn't know it would be this beautiful. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really what I think of is, yes, like it is what I expected, but mm-hmm. it's even more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just so, it's so amazing being a priest and it's so beautiful. And I just feel so like privileged and all the stuff that I've experienced just in these first years of priesthood has really been so beautiful and God... I think the theme of my priesthood is God takes care of me. Mm -hmm. And that's just really like what I feel is he really takes care of me, even in the struggles, even in the hard times, because there's definitely been difficult times, you know, there's been overwhelming times uh, in my priesthood, but he's always there. Like God has never abandoned me. God has never left me. um, And I'm just so grateful for that. Yeah. What do you like being, what do you like doing the most as a priest? 
think guys like to know that. Like, what is it yeah. about the priesthood that you really like doing every day or at least? So honestly, celebrating mass and preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Those are my two favorite things to really do as a priest. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I just love, I mean, there's no one that's that close to God than a priest at mass. Mm-hmm. When you're literally, I mean, you see bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I just think that's like amazing. <laughs> yeah. So was that Amen. difficult for you? Because you, it seemed like you grew up in Catholic schools in the Latin Rite. So you got to see a lot of the Latin Rite. Were you still yeah. going to Chaldean Mass on the weekends? or, And how did that look when you had to be trained for that? So I actually was discerning to become a Latin Rite priest. Yeah. <laughs> just because it's what I grew up in, you know, and I, yeah. I just felt such a, like I was close to the Latin Rite Church, but it wasn't um, with the AOD. It was actually with the Companions of, of the Cross. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Father Simon. Father Simon just yeah. really like inspired me. Yeah. And so how did that look like that discernment of, of figuring out if you were called to that or not? So it was very, God just made it so clear. And this is like just a testament to how he takes care of me. Um, I remember meeting with the superior at the time of Companions of the Cross. And he was just like, you know, I'll give you the application, like, and you can take the application. And I was, so I, one of the things I asked him was, I really love being Chaldean. You know, it's just one thing that I love our church. I love our community. I love my culture. And I just really love being Chaldean. And so I would love, love to be in your, your community because I just love those priests and I love their charisms and just what they do, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but I said, but like, I want to stay Chaldean. Mm. And he said to me, you know, one of the things, if you were to join our community is you would have to leave the Chaldean church and you would have to mm-hmm. become Latin, right? Yeah. And switch your right. So that was really hard for me. And so I didn't know how I was going to make that decision, but God made it for me because a couple of days after that conversation, the bishop asked me to go to Iraq. Um, so this was back in 2017. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm not going to force you guys. He asked a group of us seminarians. He said, I'm not going to force you to go to Iraq um, because actually ISIS was still there at the time. Mm-hmm. He said, but I think it would be a very good opportunity for you guys. And I highly encourage it, but it's going to be up to you. And I, usually I discern things before I say yes. But for that, I just knew right away. I was like, yes, I'm going there. And I knew the reason I said yes was I knew that God was going to answer me when I went to Iraq of where he wanted me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what church he wanted me to be a priest in, whether it was the Latin Rite Church or the Chaldean Church. And I'll never forget when we landed in Iraq, right when we landed, I just like felt at home. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing that we did was we went to the seminary there. It's in a town called Ankawa. Um, and that's actually the town that a lot of the Christians fled to when ISIS was um, really coming into their villages and destroying everything. So they kind of all fled to Erbil and Ankawa, hmm. which is a big village, a big town there. So we went to the seminary there. And I, the first thing I did when I got there was I went into the chapel at the seminary and I knelt in front of the Eucharist. And I literally just felt the Lord say to me so clearly, this is the church I want you to serve. Hmm. Um, and we were there for a month and the entire month, God just confirmed that. Yeah. With mm-hmm. so many signs and so many ways that like he wants me to be a Chaldean priest, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So it was just so beautiful to, that's awesome. to have that. That's yeah. a, that is great. Yeah. That's awesome. And you were a seminarian at this point yes, already. Yeah, so like you were discerning while you were in the seminary. I was uh I was in seminary for five years at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I actually had like two years left until ordination. Yeah. It took me five years in the seminary to really believe yeah. that I was called to the priesthood. Yes. Yeah. You know, just because you come to the seminary doesn't mean that you know you're going to exactly. be a priest. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. So now you're the vocation director for the eparchy, right? So uh, what does a man need to do uh, for the Chaldean church if he's considering the priesthood? I mean, w- what's the next steps? What does he do? Yeah. So honestly, just reach out you know, um, give us a call or we have an email that they can reach out to us at as well. Vocations at KeldeanChurch.com. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we should really get that on our website so guys can be directed yeah, to that yeah. as well. So let's make that happen too. Thank you. Yeah. And so just reach out and typically, typically it's just, let's just have a conversation, you mm-hmm. know. 
Um, I don't like to call them meetings, you know, because I think it can be too formal sometimes, but just like a conversation, you know, let's get together, you know, wherever that is, right? Whether that's in my office or at a coffee shop, whatever it is, like just to have that conversation and just kind of see like where you're at, you know, and what are you, what's happening in your heart and what is the Lord speaking to you? What is he saying to you? You know, what are you feeling? Mm -hmm. So it's really just to reach out and, and to have that conversation, which takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these can be high school age and college Mm -hmm. age. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. That's great. Um, what what kind of advice would you give to a discerner right now in the Chaldean Church of what would be the best way to start really discovering your vocation? Uh, find Jesus in the Eucharist, yeah. honestly. Amen. That's the main way I think you got. If you want to know what God wants, go to him. And like I said earlier, like if we're Catholic and really, we really believe in the Eucharist, you know, it, it makes me go crazy how long these Chick-fil-A lines are. You know, when you're like, it's like these Chick-fil-A like drive through lines are around the building, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and wrapping around. And it's like our chapels are empty, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just so crazy to me that even like the statistic that 30% of Catholics believe in the Eucharist, you know. Yeah. And do we really believe? Like, yeah. am I actually Catholic? Do I actually believe that this is Jesus? And if I don't, then like, I need to seek out some kind of advice or some way to understand this, you know? And one way is just like, I look at the Eucharistic miracles where there are so many miracles that have happened because of the Eucharist or with the Eucharist. And um, do we have time to share? Yeah, one please do. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, one of them that always makes me um, go crazy, and I think this was in Italy, where, Go crazy in a good way. In a good way. Okay. In a good way. <laughs> so a priest was visiting a sick person, and so he went to the tabernacle and he took um, a, the Eucharist. He took a host out of the the ciborium, and he placed it in his breviary. And so he went to the sick person and visited them. You know, usually you would place the Eucharist in a pyx or like mm-hmm. a golden box because mm-hmm. that's more reverent and that's typically what you should do. Yeah. But I think he was just in a rush, and so he just stuck it in his book. And so when he went to visit the sick person, he opened his book. And uh, as he opened the book, the pages that the Eucharist was on was all bloody. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And so it was like it turned into flesh. Mm. And if I actually went to Italy this, pa- this summer, and I went to Kasha, and they had the page um, oh, wow. of where of the Eucharist and and the bloody page that was there. So it was so cool to see that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You want to tell us why you were in Italy? (laughs) (laughs) I was just on a pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just on a pilgrimage and it was, it was great. Yeah. I haven't been there as a priest. So it was really cool to be there as a priest. That's awesome. Yeah. Praise be to God. Yeah. These Eucharistic miracles are are amazing. And it's funny. I preached on on the weekend and talking about like, we always say we don't have any time, right? I don't have any time to pray. I don't have any time Mm -hmm. to call my friend up just to chat. I don't have time to do this or that. And then to my shame, I downloaded a little video game on my phone because I can get really Mm. addicted to video games. So I don't have a gaming system. And I'm like, I'll just play this while I'm kind of recuperating from a little uh, surgery that I had. And and I had to like reload it and start. And it told me the time of how long I actually played on this video wow. game. It was like 25 wow. hours. Wow. <laughs> I was yeah. supposed to just, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. play it every now and then. But like 25 hours, wow. we have time, right? Like yeah, we yeah. have time. I had 25 hours to play this stupid game because it was stupid. <laughs> Not yeah. that all video games are bad, but wow. it just yeah. like we have time. We can make we time, time if it's important to us. Amen. Jesus yeah. said that to St. Faustina, actually. Yeah. He said, you know, and he was speaking about souls that are not coming to him for his grace. He said, they have time for everything else, but they don't have time for me. Mm. You know? And when I read that, I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So yeah. Father Parent, do you have anything else that you'd like to say? Give you kind of the last words here and um, words of wisdom. Yeah. Words of wisdom. We did this in <laughs> seminary. We oh yeah. Words, words of, of wisdom. wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Um, just be in love with the Lord. You know, Amen. I think that's what I want to close with. And that's what I've seen, especially working as a vocation director now is, you know, we don't need perfect men. We need men who are in love with God, you know, Amen. and that, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. You know, we can be broken and we can be weak and we can still be in love with God, you know, yeah. and that's, that's, those are the type of priests we need are priests who are in love with the Lord. And God's power is made perfect in weakness. Amen. Right? Amen. So, amen. Amen to that. <laughs> 
Yeah. So um, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I get to Appreciate see like it. how it would be easy for a man to talk to you because you're so easy to talk oh, to. Thanks. You're so joyful and I everything like that. So all of you Caledian guys listening right now, you have no reason to fear giving this <laughs> yeah. guy a call. All right. That's right. <laughs> so thank you for being on the show, Father David. Thank you for everything. It. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Perrin. It's good to good to talk with you again, Father Perrin. Thank you. You're the best. Well, yeah. Father Perrin, would you lead us out in a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for the gift of your love. Lord, I thank you for the gift of the priesthood and just for calling us to that and calling more men to that call, to that vocation. Lord, I ask that you bless anyone who is listening to this podcast now, that you would be with them wherever they are. Give them your grace, give them your joy, and give them your love. I ask that you protect us all through the intercession of our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. God bless. Thank you. You've been listening to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me every month, Father Craig Guerra. And me, Father David Pelican. As we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese and eparchy, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcast. Learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com.